Before going on 14, I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And after watching Suspiria and considering all of the actual ballerinas I've known, I'm convinced that if it's not actually a documentary, it's at least inspired by true events. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. They start getting psycho at the kid level, so... But uh, yeah, this week we are going on Suspiria, starting off Octoboo. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. it no, begins. no. Octoboo. It is time for horror. It is time for shivers and blood and that sort of thing. And this time around, it was Josh's pick. He picked uh, Suspiria for our first week of uh, October. So that's what we're chatting about today. The 1977 versus the 2018 version. Correct, yeah. Classic Dario Argento Italian horror flick. And the new remake. Yeah, Italian horror. All the blood looks like marinara. If you like marinara, and who doesn't? You Mm -hmm. might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, Joel's Own The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, The Empty Rant Podcast, Talk Music To Me, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. I thought it looked more more like vodka sauce, personally. Well, I like cream sauce, like a white. It's like a definitely orangey sauce. Yeah, orange with a little bit more vodka type of thing. That's yeah, it was pretty common for seventies horror movies. If you think back to like uh, Dawn of the Dead. Well, that's because the, the film didn't show up. If they made it look like real blood, that didn't show up on uh, screen that well. So they had to give it a little oomph. I know Tom the- Savini has gone on record saying that he was not a fan of how it turned out in Dawn of the Dead. He's proud of the effects, but he said it looked like, you know, spilled a bunch of red paint everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's seven horror movies. That's one thing I uh, take into account. Yeah. Hey, we passed this one up, but... We talked about it in the last episode. A Geek Life Radio, actually, the new one came online just about like two, three days ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, through your October, you can not only find us on the normal places, but back on Geek Life Radio? Yeah. We are. Uh, he sent out a uh, an email saying, hey, been a little bit of weirdness going on, a little bit of hiatus, but uh, we're back. And um, I think we are the third podcast that he has listed on there right now. We're... Uh, going to be going live at certain times uh, with um, like we used to have the Saturday at noon time slot. I'm not sure where we're going to have the next one, but um, well, he's got a lot on your lawn, mowing your lawn, listening to us. I mean, we've done so many shows. He could probably have us three times a day for months. If he just wants to pat out his. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody want that? I want that. 
wants that so hard. I want it that way. I was thinking that. <laughs> so if you're looking for more of this outside of Geek Life Radio, you can find us at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. We are all over the place, including those things that you probably already have pre-installed on your phone, like Spotify and maybe even our iHeartRadio. You can find us there also. Find us, listen, leave a review, and then give us a call at 708-NOW-WRAP. That's 708-669-9727. No one happened to do that this week, but that's okay. We've had a bunch of listener feedback lately. It's been the good, it's been yin yin and yang of listener calls. We're looking at you, fuckface. Whoever you may be. Hey, I like them all. Yeah, no, I like, I like, I like that call. Pat's like the kid in the back of the room, back of the class that just wants any attention. Yep. Doesn't know the difference between good attention and bad attention. Yeah. You can tell him he did good on a report, hit him in the face with a chair. He's happy. There's no such thing as as bad press. Look at Mick Foley if you need an example. How many how many chairs has he been hit with? Twenty four. That was in one match. Yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> that's that's a low ball for one night. Nine. Ah, uh, but nine. Let's do how many chairs can we hit Joel with? Zero. Please. <laughs> I was going to say, we definitely can hit you with more than zero. <laughs> so the next time you see us at a event or some sort of thing, just chuck a chair at Joel. No, I love that shit. I'm pretty sure I could get two going if I spin them on each arm for a total of four. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? Find out next August. <laughs> yeah. How did, how did Gen Con go? We showed up for the first day. Everyone beat the shit out of Joel with folding chairs. Who He's now Mick Foley. <laughs> Good thing we had that sock. Uh, <laughs> that, I think it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. Yeah. Very nice and subdued this week, Joel. Just want to make sure you guys can hear me after uh, what we found out. Yeah, the ceiling on your mic is kind of low. But either way, moving on. September Feb, September 1st. <laughs> ah, getting into right it. Right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate, so I'm getting this out of the way. No, fe- February 1st, 1977 is the release of the first Suspiria. I had a hard time finding this initially because I kept spelling it wrong. I kept spe- spelling it Surprisia. <laughs> Found some weird movies, but yeah, 1977, February 1st. Go with the music. All right. The number one song in the land was Torn Between Two Lovers by Mary McGregor. I do not know that song. You may, but probably not. Yeah, Yeah. probably not. You might. Okay, fine. Feeling like a fool. Loving both of you is breaking all the rules. Torn Between Two Lovers. No, no, not at all. It is a... Mellow country type song. Torn train to lovers. Oh. There are times when a woman has to say what's on her mind. He 
There's no chance you're going to recognize it before the yeah. before the chorus at all. I do not want to know that song. No. Yeah, it's it's not a great song by any stretch, but uh, it's a bad kind of corny song. You know how I like the good kind, and this is a bad kind of corny song. Oh, mm. 77. What do we know? Very relaxed, though. <laughs> mm. Now I want to listen to Anne Murray. <laughs> that bitch Anne Murray. White bird. Oh. Snow Dove. I don't know what the song is. Anyway, Snowbird. That's it. Joseph Anthony Fatone Jr. was born January 28th. He's an American singer, dancer, actor, and television personality, best known as a member of the boy band NSYNC. In 2007, he came in second place on the ABC reality show Dancing with the Stars. He was the host of the U.S. and Australian versions of The Singing Bee and also the announcer for the game show Family Feud from 2010 to 2015. Fatone also appeared as Rabbit on the first season of The Masked Singer in 2019, and he passed away from Barcel, cancer or something, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, he, was, he was born. He didn't die. I ruined the joke. Basil carcinoma. That's the word I was going for. Best on fettuccine. <laughs> Fat <Small>. one agrees. <laughs> he was great as a rabbit. Agreed. I enjoyed that. That, that first season was really good with him and... Um, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. I forgot. Yeah, Donnie Osmond. Osmond. Donnie Osmond. Yeah. yeah, Donnie Osmond rocked it. And, out and Wayne life. Brady. Yeah, that was good yeah, stuff. The three of them were really good together. And then, God, why names are going away from me today? I'm on. I I can't remember names. But I can remember songs and shit. I'm on a boat. Andy Samberg. No, T Pain. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The monster. That was crazy. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So born February 2nd, Shakira Isabel Mibarak Rapol is a Colombian singer, songwriter, record producer, dancer, actress, and philanthropist. Shakira has been referred to as a queen of Latin music and is noted for her versatility in music. She made her recording debut under Sony Music Columbia at the age of 13. Shakira has received numerous awards, including three Grammy Awards, 12 Latin Grammy Awards, four MTV Video Music Awards, seven Billboard Music Awards, 39 Billboard Latin Music Awards, six Guinness World Records, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2009, Billboard listed her as the top female Latin artist of the decade. Yep, and she can still move. Her hips don't lie. They do not. Uh, I remember the last time I saw her perform was uh, Super Bowl, probably, last year. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Still got it. It's like a hula dancer on crack. Mm, crack. Mm. Next up, Rumors, the 11th studio album by Fleetwood Mac was released February 4th. It went on to win Grammy Album of the Year. As it should have. It's probably one of my top 10 albums of all time. Yep. Yeah. That's the rumor. Also one of the top 10 like background behind the scenes stories for making oh. albums. Yeah, it really is. I remember I had it on... Um, playing we were driving in the car and you make love and fun came on and the girls were at the point where they can actually like listen to the lyrics and like this is really nice did she write this you know oh she, i bet she wrote this for her husband i'm like boy have i got a story for you <laughs> right <laughs> like, let me tell you why this is called rumors <laughs> and, and yeah <laughs> finally 
American Bandstand celebrated its 25th anniversary on television on February 4th with a special hosted by Dick Clark. An all-star band made up of Chuck Berry, Seals and Crofts, Greg Allman, Junior Walker, Johnny Rivers, the Pointer Sisters, Charlie Daniels, Doc Severinsen, Les McCann, Donald Byrd, Chuck Mangione, ooh, and three members of Booker T and the MGs performed Rollover Beethoven. And I made it. Nice. You did. That's a hell of a lineup for one it show. Is. Now, did they all do their individual versions of it, or did they all just jam it out? It I'm says thinking. an all-star band, so I think yeah. it was all of them at once. Yeah, I'm wow. thinking like an all-star band kind of thing. I mean, they did that for the last uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where like everyone who received an award and most of the presenters did one song. Damned if I can remember what it was. Well, there's always that one that they did for uh, George Harrison. Yeah. Where, where Prince is just like, let me show you how it's done. Right? This is one of the best instrumental performances of all time, yeah. Yeah, really is. And you don't even notice him until he starts playing. He just sat in the back the whole time and then just starts tearing it up. Yeah, you people go ahead and think you're watching something. <laughs> All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Freaky Friday, which makes me wonder how we haven't done this twee already since we've done Freaky Friday. We've done it. There's a little bit of a crossover. A little bit of overlap, but so much happened this week that you were able to find new stuff. Yeah, I I had to pick and choose. Yeah, It's nice that you had your choice of a wide array of events. I wonder what episode that was. Freaky Friday. How how long ago was a Freaky Friday show, he says, to the Magic 8 Ball? I'm guessing it was uh, about 175 episodes ago. So, uh, like somewhere in the early 100s, like 123. 123? What's your guess, Pat? 208. Jackass. Uh, <laughs> He's got oh. yeah. <laughs> he already know. Damn it, I didn't get a guess. <laughs> Go ahead, Joel. Guess <laughs> two oh eight. You're both right. You win. You win a chocolate cow. Oh, I'm right. good at this game. Carrie Marissa Washington was born on January 31st. She is an American actress, producer, and director who first gained wide public recognition for starring in the ABC drama series Scandal. She was twice nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award and once for the Golden Globe Award. Her portrayal of Anita Hill in Confirmation earned her a nomination for both a Primetime Emmy Award and a Golden Globe Award. In film, Washington is known for her roles in Ray, The Last King of Scotland, Django Unchained, and the Fantastic Four films. Time Magazine included Washington in its Time 100 list of most influential people in 2014. A little bit more toward Django Unchained and Ray than than the Fantastic Four films? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone knows that. You just yeah. kind of you have to acknowledge them, but you 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 try not to look at them. I yeah. mean, they're better than the the Roger Corman one that there's a whole documentary about. Uh, I mean, yeah, he could have mentioned Little Man. She was in that as well. Ooh, we should do a Little Man show. No, we shouldn't. Wayne no. Brothers show. In fact, you're you're not allowed to speak until we start talking about the actual topic from this point on. Fine, we're doing white chicks then. Ugh. <laughs> right, so, top 
That makes absolutely no sense. The well, top shows in the land. We should do tiptoes. <laughs> Can I do TV? Do TV. Do it. The top it. shows in the land were Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, Three's Company, and All in the Family. Yep, that's, that's 77. That's, that's a, a great g- lineup. Yep. I was going to say, that's a great F evening of uh, film shows right there. That's what I call must-see TV. Ugh. <laughs> right, so 100 million people tune into the eighth and final installment of the hit miniseries Roots. Remember watching that? Mm-hmm. Man, it was a different time. Think about that. There was only, well, yeah, I guess then there still would have been like what? 200 um, million people, like half a, the country? A few of the, is it? Like UHF is the like forty one sixty two that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. VHF and UHF. So what VHF? There's what like four channel or ABC, NBC, CBS. Is this the long way to getting to the fact you're going to say there's like less than ten channels? It was just crazy. Yeah, to think about that there was just <laughs> that many channels. So when something like this came on, it was an event. It was a water Jesus. cooler show. And now, I mean, it's just basically unlimited. Yeah, it's this, and it was. Thorn birds and yeah. Remember I, Shogun. I Shogun. Oh man, Shogun, Shogun one. Yeah. yeah. Shogun. yeah. I kind of miss that. I mean, because like they're kind of doing with that with the with the boys now, where they only release three and they're gonna release one per week. And everyone's freaking out online. There's apparently a whole bunch of people that are like, Oh my god, we want them all. Oh blah, this is terrible. And the rest of us are like, This is the way TV used to be. Right. We were born into this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a week to talk about this shit and figure out what was going to happen until we were wrong the next week. And I'm kind of glad for it. Like, I don't mind binge watching, but now, like, at least if you're watching something live, and it's usually the HBO shows because they always put their big thing on Sunday night in the Game of Thrones time slot, you can reliably go at like 930 on Twitter and see people talking live about whatever just happened on HBO. That doesn't yeah. really happen when someone binge watches eight episodes of something on Netflix. It's right. not an event. It's like the virtual water cooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's what I miss. I miss being able to, you know, let, let's spend some time and figure out what the hell is going to happen. Let's have some conversation about it. Not just like, oh, my God, I binged the crap out of all this. And now I don't remember what I watched. Yeah, there's time to mull over what happened and and digest it rather than just burn right through it. Yeah. Remember coming to high school the day after like a new episode of Quantum Leap or Saturday Night Live or something and talking about it? Yeah. It's good. Good time for Star Trek. Look at us talking about communicating with people. You guys tried to shut me up. Those were the days when I communicated with people. Those were the days. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Burton Hill, Burt Mustin, was an American actor who appeared in over 150 film and television productions. Yikes. He also worked in radio and appeared in stage productions. Mustin began his professional acting career at 67 after director William Wyler cast him in the 1951 film noir detective story. Known for his dependability and versatility, Mustin went on to establish a career as a well-known character actor, and he worked extensively in film and television from the 1950s to the 1970s, and he passed away on January 28th of this year. Hmm. That year. Wow, that's a really late start in life, man. 
I mean, good on him, but still. But well, if you look him up, you will immediately go, oh, he's a, he's a hey, it's that guy. I've heard the name for sure. Yeah, here we go. Oh, that guy. Yeah, let's say Google him. He's got he's got one of those old, long timey Western type faces. That's why my dad doesn't shave his mustache right there. That's a picture. <laughs> well, but then you're not wrong. Not wrong. That's what my father would look like if he shaved his mustache. But look at this though. Here, I found this picture of him from God knows when. He looks the same. I just posted it in the chat. Just younger. 1903. Yikes. I mean, he still has a chin back then, so I suppose that's going for him. He looks like a Madame Tussauds wax figure of himself. (laughs) Well, more likely than not, that's not a picture. It's it's probably a charcoal drawing. It's a tin plate and not one that you got at Silver Dollar City. I have a charcoal drawing of my great-grandfather that was done in like uh, 1890-something. I didn't know Silver Dollar City was around back then. <laughs> I think it was that before Dollywood bought him out. Yeah. So also born Frederick Carl Pretzel. Pretzel? Pretzel. I think you're right the first time. Pretzel? Chocolate covered pretzel. Yep. Frederick <laughs> Carl Cinnamon Pretzel. <laughs> but he's better known as Freddie Prince. Better known Prinz. as Auntie <laughs> Yeah. Don't know why he changed his name, but is better known as Freddie Prinz, an American stand-up comedian and actor who is a star of the acronym of the week, which is CNTM. I'm pretty sure that's the classic buddy comedy Caligula and Tobey Maguire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hell, Caligula. (laughs) What? I'd watch it. What are you going to do with that horse, man? Oh, I would definitely (laughs) watch that. Oh, was that what it was, Pat? Was that Caligula and the Tobey Maguire? No, that was Chico and the Man. Oh, I thought the sure. Freddie Prince thing might might have given it away, but I guess maybe. Not. Yeah, and, and probably Toby Maguire wasn't born yet, but <laughs> he just had a cardboard cutout uh, until from 1974 until his death by suicide on January 29th. Prince is the father of uh, actor Freddie Prince Jr. How does dishwasher ads? Does he? Yeah. I gotta buy a dishwasher. <laughs> Just because Freddie Prince told me to. It's it's not I, like I didn't realize you were that big of a Freddie Prince Jr. fan. He's not Man, selling the dishwasher, he's selling like the little soap things, like the the, the tide pods of dishwashers and stuff like that, yeah. Oh man. Freddie, what have talking you talking about how we do it every night now? It's very innuendo y. <laughs> is that who that is in that one? Where he's sitting on the dishwasher. Yeah, he's like, we do it every night. Yep, that's Freddie Prince Jr. That gets Suzanne riled up. She does not like that commercial because she's like, yeah, of course they're doing it right now. You're using twice as much soap. You got to buy it twice as much. I'm like, calm down. <laughs> this All is right. Not, yeah, the hill you're going to die on, really? Sports. Hurts. Moving on to sports. Dante Richard Culpepper. Born January 28th is a former American football quarterback who played in the NFL for 11 seasons, primarily with the Minnesota Vikings. A three-time Pro Bowl selection during his seven seasons with the Vikings, and in 2014, Culpepper set a then-single record for the most total yardage produced by a quarterback in NFL history at 5,123 yards. However, Culpepper suffered a serious knee injury the following season. 
After his injury, he played sparingly in the NFL, and his professional career concluded after one season with the Sacramento Mountain Lions of the United Football League. See, I knew who Dante Culpepper was. I didn't know what the Sacramento Mountain Lions were. Wow. Yeah, I've heard of him too, but... Apparently, Joel thinks a mountain lion sounds like... Choo! (laughs) That's a bat. We all know that. It's not a bat. That's a forest whale. I want to to see a fight between a bat and a mountain lion in Joel's perspective. (laughs) Oh, I'm watching it now, and it's glorious. I I was going to say, if if you've got footage of a bat fighting a mountain lion, I just want to see it in general. (laughs) Sounds like it'd be awesome. Not so great for the bat. You're going to have to have it narrated by Joel, though. Joel Kenyon's Wild Kingdom. (laughs) Brought to you by Tide Pods. (laughs) We do it every night. For your dishwasher? Now for your dishwasher? Tide Pods. Now for your dishwasher. (laughs) Honey, we don't have to eat them anymore. Honey? The best I got on that one is couple uses baseball bat to fight off mountain lion. What's that? <laughs> Damn it. I was going to say, what sound does a baseball bat make? When... Dunk. <laughs> yeah. One was wooden and one was aluminum. Ding. All right. Moving on. I don't know how to pronounce this name. Eelf? Eelf. E I U L F. Eelf. Ilf Peter Buster Nupin was a cricketer who played in 17 test matches for South Africa between 1921-22 and 1935-36. He was of Norwegian descent and lost an eye in his early life. A deadly force for Transvaal against lesser batsmen on matting during the late 1920s, by which time his bowling on these wickets had been developed into a fine art. I want to point out at this point, real quick, a quick aside. This was another one where all I did was cut and paste, so I don't even know what, what the I'm hell I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, going back to the notes. He did so with considerable skill and accomplished the best bowling of his test career. He took five for 63 and six for 87 in the first test to give South Africa victory by 28 runs and then three for 148 and six for 46 in the drawn fourth test. However, Newpin was thought so badly off on turf pitches that he was left out of the third and fifth tests, the first two ever played on turf in South Africa. He achieved his best ever domestic figures the following year with 43 wickets for 434 runs, including nine for 48 and seven for 88 in the match against Griqualand West. In 28 Curry Cup matches for Transvaal, he took 190 wickets at an average of 12.92, nine times taking 10 or more wickets in a match. How would you like to be the statistician who had to do all those fucking numbers? I mean, imagine for them, it's like, you know, very similar to baseball where you're just grown up with it and it's second nature to them. Yeah. And apparently, when they talk about matting, they're talking about the surface that he bowled on. That was what he was known for. Like It's like uh, just a, either a tarp or artificial turf. 
Oh, so not when they're not playing on grass. Right. And that's the thing is he uh, apparently he was deadly if they were playing on matting, but he, he was considered crap on other surfaces, on, on actual grass. So when they actually had to play on actual grass in the third and fifth test matches, they're just like, uh, no, we're, we're not going to start you. Keep your one eye home. Huh. I'm, I'm waiting for the rest of the world to be like, at one point, someone's going to come over like, this is a joke that totally got out of hand. Cricket. Like, we had no idea that this was like, you're going to take us seriously. Or like, there's going to be like a confession from somebody in the, you know, in the 1500s. It started, it started off as a prank and it's turned into an actual industry. Yeah. Yeah, it started out as like someone playing Kelvin Ball <laughs> and then turned into a friggin' sport. As they're taking over the world, they're like, they're like, let's tell these Indians that this is a sport. Yeah. And before you know it, it just actually became one. First, you take this pine cone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, play us off, keyboard Joel. Na 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 na. <laughs> there he goes again. He's never, <laughs> he's never gonna learn until he gets that new mic. Ah. Make me sad. No, not you. Different type oh. of mic. Oh, okay. Don't, don't be sad. Suspiria, 1977. It's a supernatural horror film directed by Dario Argento, mm-hmm. who co-wrote it with Daria Nico, Nicolidi? Nicolotti? Nicolotti. Nicolotti. Or Nicolotti. Partially based on a 1845 essay, Suprisia de Profundis. <laughs> Suspiria de Profundis. The film stars Jessica Herper. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just my guy. So Jessica Harper is the American actress in this. Uh, American ballet student who shows up at a prestigious German dance academy. But then after some things happen, is gets a little suspicious that things may not be what she thinks they are. It is the first of apparently a trilogy... Mm-hmm. Called referred to as the Three Mothers, uh, started with uh, this, and then went to the 1980s Inferno. And then they decided to pull the brakes on it a little bit, and then wait till 2007 to do Mother of Tears. It's Argento's most successful feature films. Had a lot of progress, a lot of critical acclaim for it, and the score is by Argento and the prog rock band Goblin. And who doesn't love some classic 70s? Goblin. They did the, the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack as well. Yep. Yeah, I'm all about Goblin. Okay. Of course, you guys know I like prog rock. A yeah. shit ton of other stuff. And they're still touring. They're still making music. Yeah, I saw that. that they, they, I, I went down that rabbit hole a little bit. I was like, there's no way these people are still together. But yeah, they are. I mean, they've had, oh, yeah. there's like all but like one person is new. My uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law is a huge Goblin fan. And this this is his favorite film. Oh, he's got a big poster of it signed by Olive Goblin. Yikes. So Jessica Harper cast as the uh, main character, Susie Banyan. When she was cast, she watched Argento's Four Flies on Gray Velvet to understand his style. And in this also turned down working in Woody Allen's Annie Hall. To be in this. 
Yikes. So, yeah. Which, depending on your perspective, could be a good choice or a bad choice. I don't want to know the perspective. I think that's a good choice. What? To to not be in Turn down Annie Hall for Suspiria? Depends I mean, on your perspective on Woody Allen, I think is what Joel's getting at. Ah, uh, yeah. Or your perspective on Argento. Hmm. Danny Hall's a hell of a film. It is. So we've got Jessica Harper as Susie Banyan. A lot of Italian actors and actresses in this post this is outside of all that. There is a one. Well, I'm actually I'm going to get into the uh, uh, trivia a little bit more on this, but a very young Udo, Udo Kier. Right. Yeah. Blinking and miss it. I know. And that was that was I had to stop, rewind and be like, wow, this, what? Yeah, man, look how young he is. Just, a, I mean, a lot of actors and actresses that you're not going to remember, not going to, probably not going to recognize. Stefina Cassini as Sarah, Flavio Bucci as Daniel, and who's that little freaky kid? Albert. Albert. Yeah, I don't think I got Jacopo Mariani. Yeah, Jacopo Mariani. As Albert. Makes sense that he's the one that doesn't have like a separate page. It's probably the only thing he ever did. Hmm. So some trivia on this one. The director Argento's original idea was that the ballet school would accommodate young girls no older than 12. However, the studio producer, Salvatore Argento, who was his father, said, rein it in, Dario. (laughs) Can't do this with kids. What the hell is wrong with you? So after a little conversation between Salvatore and Dario, they uh, raised the age limit of the girls to 20, but did not rewrite the script. Hence the naivete of the characters and occasionally childlike dialogue. He also put all the doorknobs at the same height that the actresses' heads would be at, so they would have to raise their arms in order to open the doors, just like children. Interesting. I, I never knew that about the script, and I've seen this movie a couple of times. Yeah, I actually knew that before coming into this. I, I was on, got a, like a what culture top ten or top ten things you never knew about horror movies, and they talked about him raised putting the doorknobs up that high. What well, was more, I just assumed that the script was like the dialogue was awkward and stilted mm. because 1977, and because it's not the most important thing about the film, but the idea that it was originally meant to—they're all little girls. It doesn't necessarily make the writing hugely great, but it makes it make a little more sense. Yeah. Explains things a bit. Some of the stuff they say to each other. Yeah. Yeah. According to Jessica Harper, the film was going to be dubbed after principal photography. So they did not record any sound during shooting. And she remarked that it was strange for her to be in the middle of a scene and having the background sound of stagehands building and uh, hammering away at another set. The whole time it was going on. Well, and with a lot of Argento's production, frequently the actors didn't all speak the same language. So you'd have a couple people doing their lines in English, a couple people doing their lines in Italian, and one dude saying his in German. Because it doesn't matter because they're all going to get dubbed in post-production into English anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's and not uncommon with Italian films. And mm-hmm. that kind of that threw me a little bit. Because I was like, oh, this is dubbed. Wait, that was dead on. Oh, now it's yeah. dubbed again. And then it's like, that's dubbed, but the mouth is making the right shapes to form the words just a little off. Right. 
that threw me a bit. It was it was one of those moments where either I haven't drunk enough or I'm too much. Yeah, it always throws me off. Because yeah. I'm like, am I am I too high or what's going on here? That's <laughs> <laughs> my, my choice. Either I haven't you drink less or drink more. Well, drink more. What's the worst that can happen? I could pass right. out and not have to watch this movie. I can't, I can't, I can't smoke less now, so I might as well see if it's more that I need. Yeah. So Udo Kier's appearance was so rushed for him, they had little time to completely read the script when they gave it to him. Uh, since it was filmed without sound and later dubbed, they had a crew person laying on the ground behind the stone bench where he was sitting in his scene, reading out his lines to him as the scene went on. It's like uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Now call her a little pony. <laughs> Tell her you love her. Say watermelon. None of this trivia is surprising at all. No, it isn't. Yeah, so first viewing for how many of us? I think just the two of you. Yep. Sounds Josh about and I have right. both seen it before. That's me and Pat, huh? Yeah, definitely the first time I saw it. I Going into this, I have to admit, going into the Suspiria week, I was imagining the wrong movie. I thought we were watching Phantasm. That's, oh. that's a big difference there. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what I didn't, you know, I'd never even heard of Suspiria before. Yeah, this until probably about six or seven years ago was in my top ten. It was at the bottom, but it was in my top ten of horror films. Really? Yep. Huh. We'll get into why. I, I, I'm going to want, because I expected at least Pat and maybe both of you guys to rip it apart, but I want to get into it before I, I make my case for it. So, for me, this is I, the second time I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it three times. I think this is the second time. Come across it a lot, being a horror fan. It gets brought up quite often, but I think the first time I saw it was five years ago, six years ago, maybe. Okay. I see this as being people telling me that it's a great, this is a horror film for the ages. This is a classic one and all that. I'm confused. I don't understand why. I had a hard time dealing with this movie where it was coming from the camera work. The well, I mean, now there's a little bit of explanation for the dialogue and all that, but this was rough going for me. I'm baffled that you would say the camera work, considering that is universally acclaimed is the filmmaking. I didn't appreciate it either. I don't understand the the love for the camera work. Like, there, it just seemed like some of them were just unnecessary shots for just the sake of making a weird shot out of it. Like the one, the one shot when she's first drinking the wine. It like showed the glass like right all the way up against the camera in this weird angle where you could tell there was no mouth there, but you uh, obviously you're trying to mimic the drinking motion. And I'm like, it was just wholly unnecessary. That's that is exactly the same scene where I wrote down what the hell's going on with the camera work in the very beginning. Also, the other thing that first off, the murder was pretty excessive. I stabbed you, but now I'm gonna hang you. That was kind of crazy. There were two deaths, so. Yeah, but uh, no, no, no. And she, he didn't. Okay, first off, the murderer also popped up off the side of the screen like the toasty guy from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> he kind of <laughs> did. He was like, toasty! 
Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> and and then he like was stabbing the girl while she was laying on top of the the stained glass and put the thing around her neck. The stained glass broke. She was stabbed to death, and then she got hung. But then all the glass and stuff killed the girl, who was apparently not smart enough to just step into the alcove of the door that was literally three feet behind her. I think she was in shock. I mean, you see somebody fall through the window. I mean, that made or the glass ceiling might not be your first your first thought to move. I mean, maybe it is, but she was in she was in panic. But I, I don't know that like defending the choices of the characters or the script or the dialogue is is where I'd go with this. Well, and you can't after the jumping into the uh, barbed wire room. Yeah, I got notes on that too. Yeah, what 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 was that? Yeah, why is there just what <laughs> at a ballet school? I will agree that the acting is bad and the script is hot nonsense. Okay, yeah, my favorite my favorite line from I will say I have a favorite line from the whole movie. He's very handsome since he got his false teeth. <laughs> and then a conversation about who him getting all of his teeth removed because he had gingivitis. I don't I mean Lots of it's lots called foreshadowing. Foreshadowing to what? That he's later going to die, and his teeth will still be good for someone else. Oh, okay. Well, that's I nice. don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that the point of that conversation was. Well, what else? I, I mean, I think one of the 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 biggest things that that at least that I've noticed about it and that I hear brought up a lot is the 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 color choice. For sure, his use of color, especially like. Every time I see her, Susie's initial cab ride to the Academy, where you've got the alternating primary colors, where it goes from yellow to blue to red to yellow to blue to red across her face. Uh, I think that's a gorgeous scene. And the sets that they chose on their own are beautiful, but they also go with the like crazy palette that Argento wanted for his film. And the wallpaper in this place was going to make me puke. That apartment wallpaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he definitely like uh, you can uh, criticize him a lot for like choosing actors who can act or like having a script that makes any sort of sense. But I think when it comes to like having a every visual choice is definitely something that he made on purpose. Well, like, for example, and I've never I haven't seen this discussed, but it's something that I noticed the first time I saw it and that I noticed again when I was watching it with Laura is that. I, I thought it was interesting that, I mean, he did, his main focus was, you know, the, the, the three primary colors throughout the film to different variations. But when the blind accompanist is in the square, it's almost devoid of color. Yeah, it's almost washed out. Yeah, I get that. It's, it's almost like you're, because of who the character is, it's about to be murdered, albeit by his dog. It's like the entire all of the color that you've seen up to that point is gone until he's bitten in the neck. And then, you know, you've got to, yeah, you're, you're a, talking about the scene where for two, for two minutes, we have to watch a blind man and his dog look around at sounds. That was thrilling. <laughs> it's like, even if they see, you know, if something happened, like it's a blind man and his dog, what they can't report anything back. Like, I mean, it was just, literally two minutes of just watching them just, looking around and shouting into the nothingness. That was nice. Our crazy German lady polishing the silver in the hallway with the weird boy next to her. And 
That's Albert. He's a good boy. Maggot Rain. Maggot Rain. That was actually Prince's rough draft for that song. <laughs> well, I was thinking it was uh, Tay Zonday. Maggot Rain. Watch <laughs> it fall from the ceiling to the drain. Maggot Rain. No? All right. Never mind. <laughs> German strip clubs are strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's there's some uh, there's some issues with the layout of the school being it, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, like w- which door are the teachers walking out of? Oh my god, this whole time I thought they were walking out the front door. I never never understood that they were walking out the back. Well, and the fact that the food prep area is I believe above and then I don't know. There's there's some there's some problems with it, and and it's been compared to being almost like a like it's a nightmare. Yes, that's that's precisely why I love this film. Like I, I like the music and I like the visuals a lot, but it not only is this explicitly nightmarish, it's like one of my nightmares, like more than any other film. And, and that's my case for it. It's like I'm not going to defend the script. I'm not going to defend the acting. But this thing latches its hooks into me because it is like one of the nightmares I have when I have nightmares Hmm. about ballerinas. Sometimes. I mean, (laughs) I'll tell you, you know what? Honestly, I think if they hadn't put so much money into the bat, (laughs) the whole bat scene, I think if they, that's probably where most of the budget went to was the, the The angry tennis ball, the angry tennis ball. (laughs) The fake mouth bat. It looked. It looked like a rock'em sock'em robot. He did. Yeah. Some of some of the effects didn't hold up. This is seventies low budget uh, horror. Just saying. One one of the big problems I had going along in this movie was the soundtrack slash ambient noise factor going on. There were several times when I'm like, it was very unclear as to like is this something the characters are supposed to be hearing or is this just an ambient noise for the watcher and like because like most of the time i kept thinking it was just supposed to be some kind of ambient noise for us you know watching the show and then sometimes you know the characters would respond but most of the time they wouldn't but sometimes they would and that was very confusing i i could get that i i kind of think that it is definitely supposed to represent whispers and sounds and cackles that are going on in the house Mm. and sometimes the characters hear them based on where they're standing and sometimes they don't now and sometimes it doesn't make sense because like joel says it's a nightmare i'm so glad you used that word because that has always been my reason for why i love this film that does make more sense why there was like a sudden barbed wire room that the, the one girl got chased into. Because I my whole thing was, this is like saw level mm-hmm. thing. Like, Yeah. Why would you have a barbed wire room? Well, not even have a barbed wire room, but this girl is trying to escape the room. She grabs the thing and she puts these, this, I, I don't know, presence of mind, maybe. You're being chased by a killer. Fine. I'll give her that. But she stacks this little bitty box on there and almost falls off three times before she gets into that jumps into a barbed wire room. Does nobody notice, hey, this guy bought like 800 yards of barbed wire. That was the least suspenseful chase scene ever. When he's like just half-heartedly trying to like lift the latch, he's like with the, with, with, with the straight razor, just click, clack, click, clack, clackety, click, clack. 
I mean, it's obvious if you're not trapped in a nightmare that the solution is to walk over to the latch and put a finger on it. And then it's never coming up and you're safe. Yeah. I was, I was, I was like, why don't you just find some pliers and bend that, bend that straight razor. And then he's out of a weapon and he can't get in. So you guys know how much I love horror films mm-hmm. and I've heard how it, it's ingrained in, in part of my being. I have tried on multiple occasions and Italian horror films are the one thing I just can't, I can't get into. I've watched the big ones. I've watched the little ones. Uh, what would be the big one? This, this is one of the biggest Italian horror films, like the most well-known uh, other than maybe like don't torture a duckling or the New York <laughs> Ripper. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Don't torture a duckling. I'm thinking that we're not fans of Italian horror either. <laughs> My torso. Calling, I'm calling. I'm thinking he's making shit up right torso, now. Torso, <laughs> Bay of Blood, Black Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of them out there, and I, especially the Gialli films. I just like I've tried, and I just outside of of Fulci's zombie and some of the the knockoff movies like Shocking Dark or oh, I can't think of the name of the other one. Robo War, you know, the, like the action ones where they're combining like Terminator and uh, Alien into a, a movie. I just, I, I don't get it. And I was hoping that maybe if I watch this again, that I would get it. And despite my knowledge of it, I still don't understand. I think it's pretty, but this I is, yeah, this reminds me of the reason Eli Roth does what he does. Uh, for sure, his stuff is uh, influenced by Italian films and stuff like Han- Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did think of him a couple times when this came and, out, and it's crazy because I don't like the Eli Roth stuff. I, I don't like the uh, hostile, the what people call the torture porn films, mainly because they tend to violate some of my rules about what I think are acceptable kills. And you know what? There's some of those rules are violated in this movie, but for me, I I think it really is. It's a personal thing. It's that it is a nightmare made real on, on the screen. Everything's dream logic. Maybe someday it'll, it'll hit me in that way. But even knowing that I still, I just, I, I, I don't get the fascination with the genre or the style. And believe me, I've tried. Because I'm like, why? I, there, it's got such a huge fan base, Argento specifically, and I just, you know, it's it's one of those things. And I, I love Eli Ross films. I'm not a huge Italian cannibal film guy. I mean, I've seen several of them, but I liked Green Inferno, which was his take on it. So yeah, I don't know. Subjective. I'm still stuck on the duckling thing. Did you look it up? Yeah, I did. No, it's a, it's a real movie. Yeah. Not going to say you're wrong right there. I'm just going to be like, yeah. And the New York Ripper, the main bad guy, uh, talks like Donald Duck through the entire film. It's kind of funny. The last time I can remember uh, me being the lone voice in the wilderness when the, the three of you hated something was a Return to Oz, which also has kind of a nightmarish quality to it. That's true. Hmm. So I, I think that might be the the thing that some some of these things that remind me of not just bad dreams in general, but my bad dreams in particular are going to be things that are going to speak to me and you guys aren't going to like. 
And that's an interesting an interesting thought process because you could say that even for American filmmakers, like we've talked about on numerous occasions, like a David Lynch, where maybe the films don't always make sense in a a, a true linear kind of narrative. But if you come at it from a different perspective, like a dreamlike state or a nightmare state, it takes on a different meaning. And I say that's a that's a fair comparison to this, you know, something like a racer head or even wild at heart, you know, something a little bit more mainstream in quotes. It's so. funny because I don't actually like Eraserhead, but then again, it's like a nightmare, but it's not like my nightmare. And see, Eraserhead's my favorite film. So, wait, ever? Mm-hmm. Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like more than. Star Pulp Wars, fiction. Pulp Fiction, Big Trouble, Little China. As far as a film, now there's there may be other films that are more entertaining that I will watch on with more frequency. But as far as a film goes, and all the ticks and the boxes that I have for uh, that's that's yeah, that's my favorite. So entertain being a movie being entertaining is not one of the boxes. Sure. But you can have a movie that's entertaining that's not a good film or that's not a... See, inter- to him, entertaining is just a box. It's not the main box. Yeah, I'm I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around the... This is a great film, but it's not entertaining. It is entertaining, but it's it's not in a way that you can watch it over and over again. Like, I could sit down and watch something like Dumb and Dumber or Star Wars or The Matrix or John Wick multiple times and enjoy it every time and think it's a great film and it's a lot of fun. And, but it's not necessarily what I consider to be a film, like a, like something that there's movies that you, you sit down and you watch and, but it's, and it's something you're like, wow, that was amazing. But you don't consider it art, but it's right. It's something that you hold in a different classification that Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to sit down and watch over and over again, because it's something special. It's something that has something more to it than just something that's enjoyable to sit down and watch with your friends or by yourself and relive your favorite moments. It's something that you sit down to. It's like, you know, if you eat foie gras every night of the week, eventually it's going to lose its kind of speciality. Maybe it's your favorite thing to eat, but you don't eat it all the time. Cause then what it is, it's just like eating another Twinkie. Hmm. Well, I, foie gras I, Twinkie. A foie gras <laughs> Twinkie. That's exactly where my mind went. It's the cruelty that makes it delicious. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I am. I want to force feed Twinkies to my ducks. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we just didn't we just learn don't attack the ducklings or whatever the hell the name of that movie was. <laughs> don't torture a duckling. Don't torture a duckling with Twinkies. That was a subtitle. I'm with Joel on the idea that there are definitely movies that's like after I've seen them, I'll watch them and I'll just be like, okay, I'm glad I saw that, but that kind of fucked me up inside, and I don't ever need to see it again. I have those too. Like yeah. Requiem for a Dream it was a fucking insane movie, extremely well done, left a mark, but I don't need to see it again. 50-50, I can't watch that movie again. And that that again, that's something where it has a personal tie to it though. So, you know, again like Josh, this mm-hmm. is his his nightmare mm-hmm. that is something that affected you because it has personal ties to it. Did you guys uh, see and or like the movie The Cell? Yeah, yes. actually, I own it. I've seen it. That's interesting to me. I didn't care for it. 
I enjoyed it. The Cell is another one of these nightmare films for me. Now, granted, it has a much more comprehensible script and a, like a beginning, a middle, and an end, where Suspiria only sort of has that. I mean, basically, Suspiria has the same uh, story as like some of the Roger Corman B, like uh, Devil's, uh, Devil's School for Girls, that kind of thing. It's basically the same plot. But it's how it was made, the nightmarish qualities. And I, I find that the uh, inside his mind sequences in the cell hit me in the same way. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we said the same. Peanut thing. butter. <laughs> Jelly bean. <laughs> Foie gras Twinkie. <laughs> Assemble. I was close. But there are some movies, though, where they, they hit me and I'm like, you know, that was amazing. I don't need to see it again right now. Right. And I mean, you sit well, down I mean, and it's a and, special thing. But see, like, I won't go as far as to say my special, my special thing, but there are movies that I have, I've, you know, I've talked to the girls, like, look, you're, I want you to see American history X once. Sure. You never have to see it again, but it's a movie you need to see once and never again. Because what it, the, the message it's going to give to you is going to hit you so hard that you're not going to forget it. You don't have to watch it again. You don't have to see it again. But it's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, oh, my God. But it's something that you might consider revisiting to see if it still holds the same power or just because it is a pretty amazing film. Mm-hmm. But it's not something you're just going to put on at holidays because you know it's christmas time it's time to watch american history x it's a bad example but <laughs> pan's I, labyrinth well man yeah pan's labyrinth yeah did not that's a great movie i i mean we Susie and i went out to go see that on a date night oh <laughs> yeah we're like oh this looks really cool it looks like this fantasy we love the director blah 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 and, yeah, and the grandkids we're all gonna watch pan's labyrinth oh, did not expect i mean here's the thing did not get what i was expecting but i was not disappointed yep right i don't know if you guys have ever seen his devil's backbone i have i i I find The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth to be very similar, but Pan's Labyrinth has much more of a fairy tale oh, twist, yeah. whereas Devil's Backbone is a, a ghost story. But they're very similar movies in a lot of ways. The only yeah. problem with Devil's Backbone is it falls into a very a, a typical trope of ghost stories, and I didn't. It, it lost me. I was I was in in it for the first like two acts, and then the third act it just shit shit the but, bed, in my opinion. I mean, it is a ghost story. Like, that's the point. Yeah. And he, he he's not above being tropey. Although I get it. Like, uh, the one that he did more recently, I didn't much care for, despite loving the cast with Jessica Chastain. Oh, Crimson. Crimson Peak. Peak. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it in the theater and I'm a huge Del Toro fan. And that one just, I walked out a little disappointed. Uh, I just wanted to, to, before we go away for the break real quick, just say that. Yeah. This movie, I didn't, I didn't so much like hate it as nothing it because it was just, as, as, you know, yeah, you talk about like the the colors and this and that and the whatever, but I it it, it felt like just one giant muddled distraction. Like it felt like something that somebody who didn't know how to make a film would make a film, and I don't necessarily think that that is a stylistic choice that should be lauded. That's pretty much all I have to say about it, I guess, really. 
It just felt like a big sloppy mess of a movie to me. I, I would say it's definitely frenetic, but I think being sloppy is definitely being dismissive. The orange blood really threw me off a lot. Well, and and for sure that's that is definitely 70s horror. Like there's uh like Mike said, stuff with the process, stuff with the budget. Definitely if this had been made ten years later, a lot of the effects would have been different. Yeah. But I mean well anyway, yeah, I don't I don't want to get into ripping it up too much because it just you know, I mean I didn't hate it enough to rip it up. It just it just it mostly just bored me, like I said. So I don't want to be a a big jerk and piss all over it. It just was, it was there, you know, see, and I appreciate it. And I think it's very, I think it's very pretty movie. Like I enjoy watching it from the visual standpoint, but I just, I just can't, I, I just can't, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I definitely think if this was a series, a long series of paintings with the same soundtrack, it would probably hit me very similarly because I, I don't care about the story. Like anyone that criticizes the script or the acting, I'm like, you're absolutely right. I can't defend those in any way. <laughs> well, good news. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's about it. We can move along to break. Yeah, move along to break and see what we all thought of the remake. Uh, I'm yeah. curious where we all fall on that one. Agreed. Yes. I got to go find the barbed wire room in this house. That, so much freaking barbed room, you know, barbed wire. That's what you need at a ballet school. But if, you have, ballet if school? you have that much barbed wire, you bought it for a purpose. That purpose cannot be just to keep it in a room. Why isn't it surrounding the school? They're putting up a fence to farm ballet dancers. <laughs> to farm ballet dancers? Yeah. How else do you All think right. they get them? They you grow know, them. It's like Motel Hell. I'm just going to leave it right there with you, Joel. You know, Ooh. can't wait to f- see how you uh, think babies are born. That'll be an interesting conversation. Wait, they're born? <laughs> no, they're born. They're they're made out of barbed wire drippings. You fish them out of the <laughs> lake and put them in a centrifuge. Yeah, we've been over that. Feed them fogwa trinkies. all right when we come back we're going to talk about the remake came out in 2018 we'll be back in just a little bit So 2018, somebody said, you know what the world needs? What? Another version of Suspera Sarah. <laughs> what? Are you having a stroke? I might be. I'm not calling it Surprisia. Surprisia! Now we dance. Is that the, the new Disney Park ride? Surprisia! Oh! And pizza buone. The girls are going to love this. It has ballerinas in it. It's a Roberto Benini film. Surprise, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, it is me, Pizza Bone. Here to tell you about my movie. Surprise, yeah. <laughs> All right. So this one is a Amazon, whatchamahoosit, Amazon <laughs> exclusive. Amazon Studios original. Yes. This is go. directed 
by Luca Gua Guaraguino. Guaraginino? Guaraginino? Guadagnino. Yes, Guadagnino drew this one. Gorlami. Yes. Fucking Mortal Kombat villain, wasn't it? I had to unmute myself because I was in the middle of a hit and you totally killed me on that. (laughs) With the Gorlami? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he is known for such things as this and the staggering girl and Fiore, Fiore, Fiore and Mundo Civilizario and Tilda Swinson, the love factory. I, I'm not joking. That is l- one of one of his things that he's done. I kind of want to say that. That sounds like a funnier die skit. It does, well, doesn't Tilda it? Tilda Swinton, The Love Factory. Yeah, in The Love Factory. This is also written by Dario Argento. We talked about that. Uh, who has also written such things as Phenomena, Opera, The Bird, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, we never talked about the electric uh, peacock in the first one. Remember she killed she killed the ghost thing with the electric peacock? Yeah, those those fine CGI graphics where the, the, the outline kept appearing and she stabbed it. I I have a little bit more risk. I have respect for that because I know what went through they had to do to, to get that on there in the seventies. Right. Like, and they were trying to do like an invisible witch who was only highlighted by bolts of lightning. And right. like like Mike says, nineteen seventy seven without the Star Wars budget. Oh, right. we never did talk about the finale of the original, which, by the way, the girl with the pins in her eyes was pretty, pretty terrifying. But anyway, apparently, apparently we didn't finish talking about the first movie. No, we're going to keep going on this one. Yeah. 2018. All right. So this is Sto- Sto- Stoes? Stars. Stars. Chloe Grace Moretz as Patricia. You, sm- you smell toast? I smell toast. I always smell toast. Tilda Swinson is Dr. Klemper, Madame Blanc, Helena Marcos. Uh, she played three. Doris Hick as Frau Sesame. Mel Gorzia. Oh my God. Okay, so. <laughs> Malgorzata? Ma- Malgorzata? Malgorzata Bella, yeah. As Susie's mother and death. Dakota Johnson as Susie. Angela Winkler as Miss Tanner. Alec Weck as Miss Millis. Elena Fokina as Olga. Mia Goth as Sarah. Ingrid Cavan as Miss Vendegast. Sylvie Tetsud as Miss Griffith. Fabricia Sachi as Pavla. I was super excited to see Angela Winkler, even though I might be the only one of us who knew who she was. I recognized her, he says, as he Googles. If you've seen Dark on Netflix, she's one of the main uh, yes, cast members. That is, that is where I have seen her, and Dark is friggin' amazing. Yes, I've only, I, I still need to watch season three, but I've seen the first two. Yeah, it's good. Good German porn. Good. No, no. Jesus, no. Joel, I think you would like Dark. It's uh, basically a a horror spin on uh, Twin Peaks with a heavy time travel element. Only German. It's on my short list. It's really good. That's as much as I I can say about it right now, but it is on my short list. All right. Some trivia. Jessica Harper, who played Susie in the original was uh, appears late in the film as Dr. Klimferer's wife, Anke, uh, in an interview with her and screenwriter David Cogniel at the <laughs> film's 
Just, I'm done. I'm done. David I'm guessing that's Kagyanik. Kagyanik. Give me some Japanese name. Give me some Polish Kaja names. I'll knock him out of the way. David Kajagugu. He's too shy to shy. Vlozimirsch. Nikolaj. Either way. Nikolaj. Jessica Harper played Susie in the original. She had a cameo in this one as Klemperer's wife, Anke. There you go. And she said the hardest thing to do is get the dialect right while walking backwards. I love that uh, she lied about speaking German, so she had to learn it for this movie. That's awesome. And Joel, I thought you'd dig this. The score is the debut score of Radiohead's Tom York, who uh, followed Radiohead and co-composers Johnny Greenwood and Phil Selway into the scoring. He's notable for scoring the films of Paul Thomas Anderson and Lynn Ramsey. Yeah, jo- Johnny Greenwood's done a few films, but it's the first thing when it started. I'm like, that's Tom York's voice. And I looked it up and I was like, Tom York's voice. You did film. not. I did. I call bullshit. Ask Laura. Are you messaging her now? I still think <laughs> I still do not like Radiohead. Oh. I'm in the same boat. There's a couple songs of theirs I like, but for the most part, I think they're way overblown. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle where I kind of like them, but if you're going to say that they're a little too pretentious and arty, I'm not going to disagree with you too strongly. I'm not going to disagree either. After Hail to the Thief, I'm kind of like, okay, you guys are going on a path that I'm not quite sure I'm going to follow. That's exactly what a pretentious Radiohead fan would say. But I may get there at some point. But I thought his music in this was beautiful. But anyway. Put this in there for Pat. At two hours and 32 minutes, this is nearly an hour longer than the original. And it felt like it. It did. But 100% less barbed wire. It, yeah. No barbed wire. No. The first footage premiered at the 2018 CinemaCom presentation. It was said to be so intense and disturbing that some audience members left midway through. That happens a lot. That's not why they That's left. That's not why they left. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if you're going to leave midway through, you're mi- leaving because you're bored. If you're disturbed, you're leaving in the last five minutes. Right. Right. Yeah, if you make it to the end, then maybe you have a case, but yeah. I'm assuming this is the first viewing for all of us. Yes, sir. Yes. I was thinking thinking about making a joke, but yes, uh, this is the first time. I thought they were trying to think if you'd seen it before. No, if I had seen it it before, there's no way I would have watched it again. Spoilers. There's a review I uh, saw of this that made me laugh. It was like, this movie starts by telling you that it is a story in six acts with an epilogue in set in divided Berlin, which immediately tells you that this movie is going to be like homework. <laughs> this, okay, in my notes, I have, this is, you just don't get it filmmaking. I'm going to yeah. throw all this shit at you, and if you say you don't like it, then the response is going to be, well, you're just not smart enough to understand it. No. I don't care about these people. I mean, there was no reference. Yeah, there, there are certain pillars of storytelling that you do have to adhere to. Yes. If you a good story has characters that you give a damn about. Right into the BS, Chloe Grace Morris, while I love her and her stuff, I think she's a great actress. They took they took my piss. They took, you know, it's just like this really kind of off the wall opening scene. Gotta have a focus on a Freemason symbol because Freemasons. Freemasons rule the country. 
It's, you know, Tilda Swinson. That's awesome. It got a plus one for having Tilda Swinson in it. But Tilda Swinson lost two points for being in this movie. Well, I think she lost points for doing a dual role as the doctor. A triple, triple, triple role. Yep. She was also yeah. Helena Marcos at the end. The uh, naked. Beast horribly. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. She with the, with the hand arms. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. She was all three characters. And the sunglasses. I did I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, the weird sunglasses. Yeah, she, and she was whole... female spud too, wasn't she? That that's who we're talking about. Helen okay, Marcus. okay. Yeah. I, I have very divided feelings about this because the original film is not about anything. I, I will admit that. It's not about anything, but it's just this n- s- splashed with blood and color garish nightmare with a psychedelic prog rock soundtrack this movie tries to be about so many things and it's trying so hard to be about all of those things it's about female power and it's about casual violence of being a woman and it's about german politics and it's about the patriarchy and it's about it's about pee fetish it's about all this shit so hard and it's just like and at the same time it's also trying to be a um like a like a murder mystery right well and one of the things that the first thing that struck me was a chair was the, <laughs> that, the first that, film, in august yes <laughs> are you nick foley <laughs> i will be yeah. was how the original film you know we talked about is is so full of color and vibrancy and this is the opposite yes like it is it is everything is washed out everything is is dilapidated everything is is very blase kind of beige and earth tones. And I kind of liked some of it, but I felt like they padded it like the whole story with Dr. Klemper while it had somewhat of a purpose to, to move the story along was kind of unnecessary. Right. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that is the, uh, he is the voice of the patriarchy. He's telling women who tell him the truth that they are, uh, psychotic and he doesn't believe them uh, but he's trying to be a caring like a good guy to them which is why he's let go at the end but he doesn't deserve their memories so she takes that it's i don't know that that plot line was necessary but he's a necessary character if you want to tell that part of the story did anybody notice the picture of the blind guy on the bulletin board at the beginning no, no, I was wondering about yeah, the, the I, blind. I uh, you saw that? Yeah. There was a well, picture of the blind guy. And who says box of rabies? Is that a phrase that I just don't know about? <laughs> yes. So, okay. And, and and while I think that two and a half hours of my life will not be reclaimed, the dancing is unknown spellcasting was, was a pretty cool idea. And the dancing was great. Like it was well choreographed, like it's not beautiful dancing, but I I described it to Sarah as it is intensely sexual and not sexy at all. Like I was not turned on, but I was like, holy shit, this is sexual. Well, and that first death using that method was disturbing, but yeah. I didn't care for the kind of twist, if you want to call it, at the end. What yeah. Was, what I'm hanging. I'm looking. I know. I'm not even sure which actress, but I know one of the actresses 
after doing this film, oh, it went into therapy. Like she finished oh, yeah. making that was Dakota, Dakota. Yeah, it was Dakota Johnson. Yeah. Like she finished this and she was like, I need to talk to somebody about this because I am not well after doing this movie. Huh. That doesn't surprise me. Not at all. They kind of delved into the entire trilogy, like talking about all three of the mothers and talking about how the mother of size was the biggest. And then, like Joel says, you got the big twist where your final girl was the actual mother of size the whole time. And the power struggle between the two other women, uh, you've got someone who was prepared to be a vessel for her and decided to seize power for herself. That's Helena Marcos. Like, I followed all of this. It was just, like, overlong and was trying to do too much. And just the cardinal sin of something in the entertainment world is it wasn't that entertaining. Yeah, I, I was bored, even though I followed all of it and, like, yeah. appreciated it. It would have been a pretty good book. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it would have been. I think I agree with you, Joshua. I think they had the, we're only going to get one shot at this. And we better cram everything we want into this movie all in one shot because after this, after this gets it gets released, we're not going. There's no not going to be a sequel. You know, what? Josh brings up a good point. I think this feels kind of like something that would would have been a good book that a lot of people loved and had a big fan base, and then they went and made a movie, and it would be like those. It would be the, the like the people that really hated the Twilight movies would be reacting. I could see that. I could see this would be a much better book than than the movie is. Mm-hmm. Well, lone thing that doesn't work if you're not uh, visual is like Doctor Klemperer as Tilda Swinton. You've got the most significant male character also being played by a woman. That's definitely a choice they made on purpose, and it's almost a shame that they didn't redub the voice because I found the very distinct female voice trying to sound male coming out of great prosthetics and great performance. Very distracting. But she almost fell fell into that uncanny Valley territory because before I even knew that it was Tilda Swinton in makeup, I was like, something just feels off about this actor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as Susie walked in, (laughs) I need to like put like a, like a tie on the bedroom door when I'm watching stuff for this show. Because sometimes this one means you might see Tilda Swinton's fake penis. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Is there's come come times where she's like, she'll walk and be like, oh, God, what are you watching? And I, I, Joel, I hate to I hate to say this, but she was, oh, God, what are you? Is this a Joel choice? I'm like, yeah, we'll just run with that. (laughs) It's not porn. Well, we we always talk about yet since one of our, our main focal points is is remakes. If you're going to make a remake, you know, do you do like Gus Van Zandt did with Psycho and do a shot for shot or do you make it your own? And I feel like they were trying to kind of distinguish themselves as being different from Argento's original film. But they went so far past the, where they should have that it went into a whole nother realm of. Of Gus Van Zandt's Psycho. Yeah, it it, mm-hmm. it came back around because there, there is a way to remake a film where it becomes something that is equal to or better, or it becomes something that is equal to or worse. This just went all the way around the corner and then back again. And it was, 
it was a strange trip. And I fall back on what I said before. They had a lot of ideas. And they realized that the original was not a... It's a cult classic. There is a niche of a niche that likes it. And they realized they were only at one shot of this. So they crammed so much into it that I just don't think that they took the time to understand that they had so much to tell that they could have stripped out half the storylines in this and made another movie or two. Right. And that's the thing is like, I read a couple articles about the making of this. They're like, oh, they want to set in 1977. Well, all this shit politically happened in Germany in 1977. So let's make the movie about that too. And I think that's the element that is the most off. Mm -hmm. The the German politics and the German summer of 77 or German fall of 77. That's not something that uh, was necessary to tell the story. I think it might have been a a conscious choice to add that simply because the location that they had was right next to the Berlin Wall. And they're like, we we can't just ignore this. Right. I get it, but it's it's that is the stuff that felt bolted on to me. Yeah, I I still think it's unnecessary. They could have maybe even done a throwaway just to, you know, they didn't have to like keep cutting back and forth to it. Like just a news blurb. Yeah. Expanding the whole dance thing. Which was like, dance was almost a, oh yeah, and they also are dancers here. When all is said and done in the original. Where Mm -hmm. the dance is intrinsically connected to the witch's magic and their manipulation of the people around them. They're murderers of people who offend them. Their power. Uh, That's an important thing, and I think it's one of the few things this does better than the original. I just think they realize that no matter what they did they were going to come under fire. So it's either kind of go big or go home. And that ending, they went big. When I say the dancing was uh, sexual, but not sexy, I'm not talking about Dakota Johnson writhing on the floor. That's sexy. I'm talking about a scene with a bunch of naked women who are moving in a very sexual manner that is not titillating whatsoever. It's horrifying. And that's before heads start exploding. Or guts start getting gutted out. Bottom well, they- Bed it up and they did, you know, that that camera technique where it just it, it was unsettling. I the get death, what they were doing, uh, but no, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't care for it. The death specter, those kills though, those were quality kills. I agree with you there. The death specter was pretty badass, and I would have loved to have seen a movie. Just tell me more about this. Tell me more about whatever the hell it was that crawled out of the basement, and I'd be happy. And just like the way they exploded when she uh, like caressed them or kissed them, like a mm. little bit more explanation on that than I would have needed. Because I mean, like how they had each person saying the name of the wi- the one mother right before they exploded was kind of like that. In case you weren't paying attention, this is the mother that they voted for. They called. Yeah, this is the one they were rooting for. And this is why they're blowing up. Right. I I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's like she was offended by the one that was claiming her name and was misusing her power. Mm -hmm. So her and all of her followers got to go. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about the going back to the original and, and the head mother and that it was it was more of show less let your imagination kind of 
fill in the gaps. I mean, you still saw her, but she was kind of in little quick cuts. Here she was on full display, and I thought, you know, she almost was like a Butterball in in Hellraiser. It, it just, I thought the makeup on the 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 demon thing that came out of the basement was amazing, whereas hers just looked it was just a mess. It was kind of a mess, and the effect on the actual sighing wound on Dakota Johnson's chest, where it opens up and it almost looks like a vagina and it's making these creepy sighs. like that effect was really good and kind of fucked me up actually. It was very vaginal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why I say I have such mixed feelings about this. I don't think I liked it, but there were individual five minute or 10 minute bits that you could cut out that I, that are going to stick with me. Yeah. I certainly thought about it more than the average horror movie, but I don't think I liked it. And it was definitely two and a half hours was too long for the story they had to tell. Yeah. I wanted to find something in it to like, and there were, there were small bits of it. There were portions that I thought were, were well done, but on the whole, when it ended, I just kind of looked over at Laura and I was like, yeah, I don't think I like that. You know, it's just like, I, I I didn't care for it, and it's not a, a I don't know. It just fell flat, you know. Well, what else? I'm, I'm looking at my notes here, and I wrote, okay, dancing is unknown, spellcasting is cool. I said that. P fetish, yep, said that. Oops, Spud's dead. <laughs> uh, flesh frames. Oh, that's when, yeah, when she got into that one room and there was a picture of Tilda Swinson and the, the, um, Cenobite together. And that, and it, and that was the moment where Suzanne walked in the room and she was watching it. And she's like, why would anybody touch that? Nobody, you don't touch that. Yeah. That was my, my thinking too. was like, I I would not reach out and stroke that thing. Yeah. No, not so much. And then uh, the kneecap scene where the girl stepped, stepped in the random holes in the room and broke her. femur bro whatever she broke that was oh and then they made her like on the broken leg do the dance and then she comes down on the leg yeah because fixed it just enough yeah because they needed to have everybody doing it for the spell to go off and then my next note says what the hell is going on that's that's, the jimmy rigged her leg yeah that i mean it was a lot to lot to take in on this and it it's not it's just too many too many plot lines too many things going on all at once i think if they had just they were asking way too much out of the audience for what they were willing to give it yeah it was and then loaded oh right. man okay cool here's the epilogue oh good maybe it'll be over oh no epilogue got another 20 minutes coming in on the epilogue for sure. Yeah, at one point i paused it to go do something and when i realized i still had 50 minutes to go i was like what <laughs> Well, I felt like they spent too much time on the, uh, they almost made Dr. Klemper the focus when the film is about Susie, or at least the original is more about Susie and her, you know, coming into the, the, the dance school. Well, I think it was almost at, at a certain point, it almost became a little Tilda Swinton vanity project where she, you know, they decided she liked playing that doctor so much that they wanted to add more to him to the script. 
We'll see. And if they would have just left her, if she just would have walked in the door and played Madame Blanc, that is the kind of role where she shines. Mm-hmm. And and I would have been a lot more happy with it if she would have stuck to that because that's she was great in that role. That was a, a, a perfect Tilda Swinton role. But Agreed. Splitting her time between three characters, one of which you don't even see really until the end. Yeah, I, I, th- I agree. I think she was stretched a little too thin. And, and Patricia's character, the Chloe Moritz, Grace Moritz, was almost felt like an afterthought. Like, we're like going to throw her in here and there. But it's just kind of like, okay, I expected to see more of her, I guess, of that character. Yeah, for sure. I definitely did with when you saw the name Chloe Grace Moritz, I was expecting to see her like as a main character as like the foil or whatever. But it, I mean, just in the very beginning with that weird random psychological, the psychiatrist meeting. Well, yeah, she'd been driven mad by them trying to use her as a vessel, but she was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like why. it. I don't think I did either. I'm yeah. I'm not angry I watched it. I wish it had been an hour shorter. Oh god, yeah. Because I was fidgeting in my chair before the end. But that end. That end was good and all yeah. the dance scenes were good. Some of the performances were good. Yeah, it was intense. There was a lot going on. The original one, I got into it a little bit. I was like, you know, I started watching it like oh man you know this is really interesting stuff you know started going on like paying attention hardcore to what was happening and then i realized since i was watching tubi it uh, it on tubi it had gone to commercial and i was actually watching a febreze commercial (laughs) this is an odd choice this is an odd choice i don't know why everybody's talking about sheets now but i'm into this but the second one i mean it just seemed they had too much to tell and for, uh, the the script was packed with too much stuff. Well, it's an art house film. And yeah. when you look at the original, it's like our art house version of this film is not something literally anyone was asking for. Right. Well, I just looked this up. I looked up. I was curious what Argento had to say about it. And there's a an article here where he's quoted as saying, it did not excite me. It betrayed the spirit of the original film. There is no fear. There is no music. The film has not satisfied me so much. He said, Guadagino, whatever, Giordano, makes beautiful tables, beautiful curtains, beautiful dishes, all beautiful. For me, making films is a natural act, and I do what I believe I need to do. So, of course, it is interiorized. My knowledge of Dario's film. Oh, no, that was what Giardino said. Anyway, so basically he said he he, he didn't like it. And although it looks yeah. pretty, it betrayed the original spirit of what. Well, sure. It was trying to so hard to tell you something about women and about Germany and about power that forgot to be scary. And the few scary moments that there are are kind of few and far. Well, and that's not even, I mean, Josh, you made a good point there. It forgot to be scary where it, the original. Yeah. I will say for night for 1977 theater, and movies, there were probably people in the theater that were really scared by this. I was not because we're, we're past that. But this one was more repulsive than scary. That's a good word for it. 
And I think that some of that is intentional. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, maybe they were trying to superimpose the, the horrifying with the beautiful. I don't know. I think they definitely were, but I don't know. The movie was still kind of up its own ass. Yeah. Yeah. Can't disagree with that. This is one of those things, like I said, in the very beginning was, Oh, you didn't like that one. Well, I wouldn't expect you to understand. No, no, I've watched a lot of movies in my life. I get it. I get it. I know where it's coming from. Just because I get it doesn't mean I like it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? <laughs> next week. We're going to do, we're gonna do oh, thumbs, oh, down, thumbs uh, up, thumbs down. First. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like we got to do thumbs down, thumbs gotta, down. <laughs> thumbs down, thumbs down. For, my Freudian slip is showing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, okay. The then. What are we looking at? I mean, it's pretty obvious for me. It's a thumbs up. Joel? Although I can appreciate it and I like aspects of it, uh, the first time I saw it, I told myself I never needed to see it again. And after I saw it this time, I I pretty much, that's the case. So, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Wow. this is We're on the same thing with, with uh, Joel mm-hmm. this time around. Huh. It's unusual. Like I said, the last time this happened was uh, Return to Oz. Hmm. Now for the then. How's I mean, it feel the, being the right, now. Joel? Yeah. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> we have chairs. I, I'll start off uh, definitely thumbs down. Chairs to the face. Not for not for chairs for the now. Oh. For the oh. oh for the now. I, I, yeah, it's still a thumbs down. There, there's like I said, I'm not disappointed. I watched it. So it's almost a thumb sideways, but at the end, I, I did say I don't think I like that very much. So yeah. yeah, thumbs down, thumbs down. And I don't have anything against you know if if a film uses excessive violence and gore, if there's something there to back it up, if there's some a story or something, okay. But I don't know this. Just in general, aside from that, just was. Well, by the time yeah. this movie decided to start getting interesting, I had already checked out two hours and 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> it, Yeah, it was just too much all over the place, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a thumbs down as well. All right. Joel, next week. Yes. Next week, uh, you're not going to see us because uh, we're going to be talking about Hollow Man versus Ooh. The Invisible Man. And it's a podcast, so you don't normally see us. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, if I, you have your thoughts on uh, Invisible Men or any movie you'd like to see in a future Octobu spectacular, you'd like to hear us talk about them, let us know. Uh, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yeah. And if I take off all my clothes, nobody can see me if nobody's looking. Got to snap your fingers. Nice reference. Thank you. All right. So if you're looking for more of this, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Talk Show, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. We are on Geek Life Radio. Our uh, schedule will be coming up soon. And you can also find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Again, if you can't find us, you ain't trying hard enough. Oh, and if anybody has a copy of Surprisia, I'd like I'd like to see it. Surprisia. Surprisia. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Peekaboo. 
Surprise! Recommend the surprise! It's a surprise for you. Choo! I ordered it yesterday, so the fact that it's coming Friday is actually probably a miracle these days. That's what she said. What? What? It was a Joel joke. That's why you didn't get it. I don't get my own humor. Right. Uh, Goes right by you. Chew. Like a bat. Bat that goes. Chew. What? What just happened? I don't know. He's sitting out in the car and someone goes, Chew! What was that? Oh, it's a bat. <laughs> Better watch out. Cover your hair. Bat's gonna get you. That's how bats find their way around. You just go out in the wild to hear, Chew! Chew! It's so good that they do like such high pitch. Otherwise, you're just going into a jungle and all the bats are like, Bat! I'm still going to be disconcerted walking through a jungle hearing choo, 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 choo. Oh, the bats are out. <laughs> and you know how many bats there are in this world? So it's not just going to be like a couple like that. It's going to be like, choo, 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 choo. I'm Batman. I am the knight. Choo. <laughs> choo. <laughs> it's background bat. <laughs> Uh, for that show. Yeah. yeah. Chew. <laughs> we'll get to that because I knew Patrick wouldn't like it and I suspected Mike wouldn't. Chew. <laughs> I could for once not think with my penis. You think? Yeah. I hope. What does your penis have to say about that? Chew. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. Got the whole world in his hands. Chew.